Ahoy there, ahoy, we are castaways on an island at sea. Just me, me and me, castaways, ahoy, we are castaways. I've started dreaming in Spanish, which has never happened before. I wake up feeling different, like something inside me is changing, something chemical and irreversible. There's magic here working its way through my veins. Hola, bienvenidos al podcast. Me llamo Sydney. Me llamo Annika. Me llamo Catherine. Me llamo Izzy. Me llamo Megan. This will be our final podcast for Dreaming in Cuban by Christina Garcia. We will be discussing our final question, should this book be read in U.S. high schools? In this episode, we also interview Honors American Literature teacher, Ms. Consaldo. We started by discussing as a group on whether or not we thought that Dreaming in Cuban should be read in U.S. high schools. Well, I know for me, I never really got to like hear out the perspective from the Cuban Revolution, and I especially had not heard what it was like for a Cuban-American and the different generations, how it affects those living in Cuba and um, the U.S., and the tension it causes family and the political differences. And I think that's like a very interesting thing that the book really covers a lot throughout. The yeah, for sure. I mean, we're sophomores, and as of right now, we haven't learned anything about the Cuban Revolution. So basically, I didn't know much about Cuba or Cuban culture, to be honest. But this book was really an eye-opener, and I also really like the fact that it was written. Christina Garcia is a Cuban-American. She immigrated from Cuba to New York City. So I'm sure a lot of her own personal experiences are kind of weaved throughout the book. Um, and as she answered questions about that in um, the Reader's Guide at the end, and I just think it's really good to have books, if we're telling a story about Cuban-Americans, it should be written by Cuban-Americans. Especially since the author herself said that she also left Cuba when she was two years old yeah. and yeah, moved so to New York. Yeah, so she relates highly Kind of going off of that somewhat, there were, like we said before, a lot of controversial scenes and instances, um, a lot of trauma. I actually thought that it was good that it was in the book. Because now in like our day and age, the media is covering more on mental health and trauma and stuff, which is really important. Mm-hmm. And often before, actually when the book was written, it wasn't talked about that much. It was frowned upon. And I think that this book really helped show that like it's normal to go through um, a lot of things. And I think that a lot of people can maybe relate to it somehow and help them. During the time that it was written and published, it really took that step to yeah. talk about these issues because in american high schools we do read a lot of old books and a lot of them are like written for that day and age but i think that this book was ahead of its time i agree and the topics it was talking about like Fel- felicia yeah. and her mental health issues is definitely would have been frowned upon at and the time. it's still ahead of this time exactly like, it's still something that you don't see books about latin america yeah. ever yeah like they're out there but they're not popular and so like there's a lot of people, real people, who are have been affected by the Cuban Revolution and who have gone through experience like experience, experiences like this, but we don't hear about it. I agree. I think it's really yeah. it's a really important book to read to introduce someone into the Cuban Revolution and really like let them know what was happening and what people possibly went through and are going through now. Yeah. I think this like, book also kind of talks about things that you don't really want to talk about, and it gives like a voice to those topics like all the, because it does talk about eating disorders sexual abuse and assault and the mental health which and is like still a lot of those are coping mechanisms for trauma exactly. because of the yeah. Cuban revolution yeah. it's very um like 
un, I would say like uncensored book like yes mm-hmm. the United States yeah. like art like it kind of like touches on like U.S. Cuban relations which are very like I guess like you could say like sensitive mm-hmm. and like um controversial maybe even and it kind of just like touches on that like uncensored because yeah. this woman who wrote it is a Cuban American and I, she firsthand like knows it and has like her own thoughts and feelings about it mm-hmm. and so the fact that it's written by her and not like just mm-hmm. some like her, mm-hmm. some history teacher teaching us about it or some, like, Especially American. like some white history people, yeah, yeah, white yeah. Man, like, mm-hmm. or white woman like, man. writing yeah. about this. I um, I really liked how it was super unfiltered. It almost felt like yeah. I was reading a diary because exactly. we do, because so, we do read yeah. letters. Yeah, there are letters yeah. because but we also we read a lot of books that are censored that are like exactly. sugar coated for us. So what we're exactly. still Sydney and yeah. I spoke a lot about during the book club groups um, was how nonchalant that she wrote mm-hmm. the book. So whenever there was a very graphic scene, she'd kind of just like explain it throw in detail. It she'd just yeah. throw it out there, she and then she'd like walk over it. She'd like walk past it. She didn't like, want us it. to like, like think. She didn't want to be like a she stalker. Wanted to, she wanted to tell. Really. She wanted to tell it how it was. She didn't want yes. us to go. No sugarcoating. Um, exactly. Yes, and it was, it was mentioned once, and then we moved on, and it wasn't mentioned again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I yeah. think that how nonchalant she was really was important because it helped um, give us more insight on the character. And um, yeah. character growth, if we see that throughout the book. So it really gave us like, a basis behind each character. Yeah, yeah, the book definitely isn't really plot-driven. Like, it's character-driven. Exactly. Like, you have so many different perspectives, so many different time periods. Like, you're not sticking to one plot, like, yeah. one story where all the characters are together. Like, it jumps around so much, and it's just, it's, like, character-driven. Like, you see the characters' growth. Like, you yeah. see, like, their yeah. whole lives almost and what they go through and how that affects them and the choices that they make. Very eye-opening. Yeah. I feel like being in the U.S. sometimes you can get sucked into more American culture and you don't really get to experience or like talk about other cultures and what other people have to Mm -hmm. go through during other countries. I thought this was very important to read. Because the U.S. is so diverse, so it's really important to get all mm -hmm. these perspectives from and only just and it's even just from americans it's not even outside of america which means that not like it's not it shouldn't just be books like this there can be other books about other stories that mm-hmm. we don't know about mm-hmm. exactly. like, starting yeah. point too. so i think in conclusion we think that it should be read in american schools maybe with a trigger warning or yeah yes because there are very like, graphic no, topics like, graphic or as a up. choice book because yes i agree yes. because making it required can sometimes be a little bit on the iffy, iffy side yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. After our group finished this discussion, Megan and I took a visit to Miss Consalvo's classroom and asked her a few questions about her experience reading Dreaming in Cuban. Here's what she said. Okay, so my name is Miss Consalvo. This is my first year teaching at Northern Highlands, but I've been teaching for five years. I taught high school English for three years. This is my fourth year. And then my first year I taught um, eighth grade language arts. And then this year I finally graduated with my master's in English literature. I did literature as my undergrad, literature as my master's degree, so I'm pretty well-read, or I like to think (laughs) that I'm (laughs) well-read. All right, so I know that you've read Dreaming in Cuban before, so just to start off, what was your reaction when you came across the graphic scenes in Dreaming in Cuban? So I wish I could say that I was surprised by the content of the scenes, but the course that I was taking when I was reading this was Latino literature in the USA. And what we had studied a lot was the history of trauma um, that Latinx people had experienced. So, and whether that was, so Dreaming in Cuban had to do with like the Cuban revolution and everything that was going on in Cuba. And it also had to do with like sexism and feminism. So I can't say that I was surprised at the content, but I definitely wasn't expecting it as I was 
reading. So I, I would say at the times that they came up in the novel, I was a little taken aback, but the content itself, I wouldn't say I was surprised, but that's because of what we were studying at the time. What do you think of the author's approach to writing these scenes? Do you think that the graphic scenes and descriptions really helped put the story together and shape the story? So what I wrote for this, what I prepared for this question was when I was considering the thematic framework of this novel, right? So I had mentioned that it was based around magical realism, but it also um, was exploring trauma that these people have experienced. So I think that in order to really express how serious and how real the trauma was for these people, that they needed to be included. So, you know, they detailed violence and hardships, um, general lack of respect, trauma, intergenerational conflict, mental well-being and identity, right? The novel addresses all of that. And, you know, trauma impacts a person and it impacts who they become as a person. It impacts their identity and especially, you know, their the women in this novel, the experiences that they have uh, amongst their family, right? There's a lot, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Garcia does a, an excellent job at not sugarcoating those those things and not sugarcoating those taboo topics that kind of need to be talked about. And then I think Dreaming in Cuban is also post-colonial literature, right? And that type of literature deals with traumatic events that happen to people who have been colonized. So, you know, again, framing it around trauma. I know that there was a lot of inappropriate scenes. You, you can say sex scenes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Sorry. Okay. A lot of sex scenes, but, you know, there was always, a, most of them weren't consensual. And again, just building off of that idea of, of trauma and what message she was trying to get to her. Yeah. So given all of the trauma and everything that we just spoke about, do you think the graphic and triggering scenes make the book not school appropriate? And um, just add on to that, are there too many for the book to be allowed in schools or should it like even matter if it's such a good literary content? So I'm a little bit undecided about this because I think it absolutely should be considered a choice novel. Um, but the thing, the caveat with choice novels is that when students choose the books that they want to read, you know, we as teachers are expecting the students to do a little bit of research on it. So if you research this title, you know, you kind of get a general sense of some of the triggering things that happen in the novel. So, you know, prior research as a choice novel is important. The novel as a whole should not be considered a core text, but novels like this, you can take excerpts from them. Um, so taking ex certain expert experts excerpts <laughs> from this novel, um, especially when, you know, studying trauma, studying feminism, studying, you know, novels using the post-colonial lens, using excerpts versus making it a core text, but still allowing it to be a choice novel. Mm -hmm. So I guess you kind of answered it a little, but do you think that U.S. high schools should read this book? So I think, again, it touches on, when I think of high schools now, uh, gender studies, huge. Addressing mental health in classrooms, also huge. And under the mental health umbrella falls trauma. You know, we read a lot of books in English class that are not happy endings, mm -hmm. but all it is is just like people dying, right? But what about people who can't escape? the trauma that they've experienced, you know, what happens to them? What happens when, you know, the family dynamics break down? What happens when they try to escape something and they end up in a situation that might be worse than what they were in before? You know, what happens if, I can't remember which, which woman it was, but, you know, she starts hallucinating and she starts living in this yeah, dream Felicia, world. Yeah. yeah. You know, like that's a, that's a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't realize that. When I was, when we were, we were reading uh, Streetcar Named Desire 
in my class and we talked a little bit about like maladaptive daydreaming, you know, like how that's a coping mechanism to trauma. If we're focusing, if, if the classroom focus is shifting on mental health and well-being, gender studies, you know, being inclusive, we need to include everything. You know, we can't be inclusive and kind of tiptoe around the topics that are super important and they, they happen, yeah. right? Things like this happen, students experience trauma, adult experience trauma, to be an inclusive classroom, these are things that kind of need to be discussed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do I think they should read it? Yes, parts of it. Core text, it's a little, it's iffy. a little iffy, but yeah. excerpts, absolutely. Yeah. Right, yeah. Thank well, you so much. Yeah, You're thank welcome. You. Thank you for listening. Adios.